Welcome to Jury Duty, I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the in-camera testimony of bank executive Jan Malinowski. In this installment, we continue our review of the in-camera hearing over the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the case with our coverage of the testimonies of Michael Satterfield, whose mother Gloria Satterfield died from a fall while working as the Murdoch's housekeeper, and Carson Burney, a forensic accountant. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It is late on the morning of February 3rd, 2023, day 8 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Jan Malinowski, the CEO of Palmetto State Bank, testified about the discovery of multiple irregularities related to Alex Murdoch's financial dealings with the bank. As we begin today, Prosecutor Creighton Waters continues the in-camera hearing by calling Michael Satterfield to the stand. Mr. Satterfield, who goes by Tony, sports short brown hair and glasses. He wears a gray hoodie over a blue checked button-down shirt. Waters begins by asking Mr. Satterfield his age. He is 33, where he works at Beaufort Memorial Hospital and where he grew up in Hampton, South Carolina. Waters next asks Mr. Satterfield about his late mother. Who was your mother? Uh, Gloria Satterfield. Gloria Satterfield? Yes. And um, is Gloria still with us? She's not. And when did she pass? Uh, February 26, 2018. 2018? Yes, sir. And who did she work for when she passed? Uh, Alec and Maggie Murdoch. Okay. And do you know Alec Murdoch? I do. Do you see him here in the courtroom today? I do. Can you point him out? Uh, yeah, he's right there. Okay. You're on a kind of record and flag. He's done five of front. Where is he? Right there. Right. right. Can you tell me what jacket he's wearing? Uh, a navy blue jacket. It does. Thank you, Your Honor. Over, how long did your mom, roughly, how long did she work for Alec? Do you know? 20-something years, maybe, give and take. I don't know that that years. Okay. What did uh, your mom do for uh, Alec? Uh, she was their housekeeper. She babysat for them. She cleaned their house um, and kind of anything else they kind of need. Okay. And she had been doing that for a long time? Yes. During the course of that, you got to know Alec and his family to some extent as well? Yes. Uh, did you trust Mr. Murdoch? Yes. What happened to your mom? She fell and hit her head. Where was she when she did that happen? Uh, she was at Alice's house at Moselle. At Moselle? Yes. Um, did she pass right away or did she live for a while? Uh, she lived for a few weeks. Was she ever able to say to you what happened, how she fell or anything? Uh, no, she was not. After she passed, uh, did you have any conversation with Alec uh, about what to do about it? I did. And what was the conversation you had with Alec? Uh, I barely remember, but it's like, um, you know, let me go out to my insurance company for this or whatever, you know, kind of get these medical bills and stuff paid. 
Okay. So he said he was going to go after his insurance company? Yes. And get medical bills for your mom paid? Yes. Did he say he might get he got money for you and your brother? Yes. Did he say how much that might be? Uh, no. Ultimately, was there a lawsuit filed? Yes. Who did you consider your lawyer was in all of this? Uh, Alex. At some point in time, did he bring another lawyer in? Yes. And what did he tell you about that? Um, he said, if I understood it correctly, you know, I can't do it myself because it's a conflict of interest. Um, I'm going to send you to my buddy, Corey Fleming. Corey Fleming? Yes. Did he tell you anything about his relationship with Corey Fleming other than they were buddies? No. After he brought in Corey Fleming, were you still communicating directly with Alec about the case? Yes. Who did you think your lawyer was? Alex. The whole time? Yes. Did he ever bring in a person, uh, or did they ever bring in a person by, by the name of Chad? Yes. And you remember Chad's last name? Uh, Westendorf. And what did they tell you about Chad? That he uh, should be my PR. Your PR? Yes. Chad Westendorf was a vice president at Palmetto State Bank and, at Alex Murdoch's urging, was retained as the personal representative or PR of Gloria Satterfield's estate. Did you ever meet with Chad? Uh, yes. Did you meet with him a lot or just? Uh, one time I can think of. Alec told you that he was going after his insurance company. Did he say how much that insurance was? One of them that I know of was like $500,000 and that's the only one. That's the only one he told you about? Yes. Did he ever tell you that there was also an umbrella policy worth upwards of $5 million? No. Never mentioned that to you, did he? No. Prosecutor Waters presents a document to Mr. Satterfield. We'll show you what's been marked as stakes 372 to your testimony and just have you take a look at that. And do you recognize that document? Uh, yes. And tell me what that is. Uh, that is a cover sheet that I faxed that I sent Alex. Okay. And what was, what's the reason that you sent that to Alex? I got something from the trailer company and a medical bill, I believe. And I just wanted to be sure what I needed to do with it. You had received some paperwork about your mom? Uh, it was a bill. It was a bill? Yeah. And who did you send that to? Alex Murdoch or the law firm. All right, and why did you send it to Alec Murdoch? Because uh, he said if we got any medical bills, just for him, and I didn't know if I needed to do anything with it. But you, because you thought he was your lawyer? Yes. All right, and this had your phone number on there, but we blacked it out, correct? Yes. As time went on, did you have conversations with Alec asking him about the case and what was going on with the case or anything like that? Uh, yes, not very rarely, but every few months or so. And what would he tell you just generally? Over um, first, it was hard, hard, and he knows like, it was making progress, and he kind of left it in that. He said it, it was hard, but they were making progress? Yes. Did he tell you anything about whether or not you and your brother were going to get any money? Um, the medical he, bills were paid? said he was hoping. Did he give you idea, any idea of the amount? If I remember correctly, one time he said he was trying to get each of you at least $100,000 apiece. Each of, each of you, yes. you and your brother? Yes. At some point in time, did your family advise you that there was some media reporting about a settlement in the case? Yes. All right. And at that time, had you heard anything from Alec or Corey or Chad or anybody about a settlement in the case? No. All right. And what, if anything, did you do after your family? Did they ask you to do anything? Uh, yeah, they said you might want to kind of follow up on it and kind of see. And did you make a phone call to Alec? Uh, yes. Right. And what month was that in? Uh, I believe the last time I talked to him was in June of 21. June of 21? Yes. Around the time of the murders? Yes. And what did you ask him? Uh, I can't believe what I asked him, but um, it was still making progress and be ready to settle, you know, by the end of the year. He told you it was still making progress and you was hoping to settle by the end of the year? Yes. Did he tell you that they had already gotten a settlement for $505,000? No. Did he tell you that they had already gotten a settlement for $3.8 million? No. 
Had he ever told you that there was an umbrella policy for five million dollars? No. Did he ever mention to you anything about Ford? No. Did he mention anything to you about structuring any settlement? No. Did he give him permission to steal your money? No. Ultimately, in the wake of all of this, you've come to find out that there was a settlement for $505,000, correct? Uh, yes. And it was diverted by Alec Murdoch, correct? Yes. And ultimately, you've come to find out that there was a settlement under the umbrella policy uh, for $3.8 million, is that correct? Yes. Or thereabouts, correct? Yes. And a large portion of that was diverted by Alec Murdoch, is that right? Yes. Did you ever get one cent from Alec Murdoch when he was still on before all of this happened? No. And it took, after this happening, and it took a legal process for that to happen, is that right? Yes. And ultimately, is it your understanding that he confessed judgment to taking money for both of those, is that yes. right? In June of 2021, you made a call to him asking the status of this case, is that correct? Uh, I can't remember if he called me or if I called him, but yes, I talked to him in June of 2021. You talked to him in June of 2021? Yes. And there were reports in the media about that settlement, correct? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And please answer any questions the defense has, okay? And with that, Prosecutor Creighton Waters concludes his direct examination of Mr. Satterfield. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to begin his cross-examination of the witness. You had a family member who saw an article in somewhere. Do you know, remember where the article was published? Uh, I don't remember exactly where they found it at or seen it at. Okay, but, but after that article was published, that's when you started making inquiries and you contacted Mr. Murdoch? Yes, when they seen the article or whatever, they were like, you need to follow up on it. And, uh, yes, and I can't remember if he called me or if I called him. Do you know whether you called him on the cell phone? Uh, it was on his cell phone normally. That's how I called him, yes. So you called him on the cell phone? Yes. Okay, and his cell phone record would reflect, how many times did you call him? What was that? How many times did you call him? Like once, twice, three, we talked like three or four times, you know, throughout the whole year, if I remember correctly. Okay. And, and when you called him after reading some article about a settlement, do you know if that was before or after Maggie and Paul were murdered? Uh, it was around the time, but I don't remember if it was before or after. Okay. All right, thank you. Nothing wrong, John. Thank you. You may step down. After the witness leaves the stand, Judge Clifton Newman calls for a five-minute recess. After the break, the prosecution introduces the next witness for the in-camera hearing. Carson Burney appears to be in his 30s. He is balding, sporting close-cropped red hair and a neatly trimmed beard. He wears a light blue suit, a white dress shirt, and a gray tie. For the first time in the trial, Johnny James conducts the questioning for the prosecution. James appears to be in his mid-30s and sports short brown hair and a full beard. He wears a gray suit, a white dress shirt, and a blue striped tie. James begins by asking the witness about his professional background. Good morning, Mr. Burney. Good morning. Still morning, just barely. Where do you work, Mr. Burney? I work for the South Carolina Attorney General's Office. And what is your job and title at the South Carolina Attorney General's Office? 
I am the forensic accountant in the state grand jury division. And how long have you been a forensic accountant? Uh, approximately a year and a half. All right. And what do you do as a forensic accountant for the state grand jury? As a forensic accountant, I identify, compile, analyze different financial records to include bank statements, credit card statements, loan documents. I also trace assets from source to ultimate disposition. All right. And uh, what did you do prior to uh, serving as a forensic accountant for the state grand jury? In 2019, I joined the South Carolina Department of Revenue as a sales tax auditor, and I was there for a little over two years. There are a variety of other niceties, but because it's an in-camera hearing, we'll cut straight to the chase. As a forensic accountant for the State Grand Jury Division, have you uh, reviewed any documents in relation to a Richard Alexander Murdoch? I have. And what sorts of documents have you reviewed in relation to that gentleman? Similar documents, as I mentioned earlier, they would include bank statements, loan documents, uh, wire information, money orders, and, and other various things. And what were you asked to do in relation to those documents? I was asked to uh, trace the alleged stolen funds and ultimately show where the disposition of those funds ended up. Now, you said trace. Uh, what is tracing uh, from the 10,000-foot view? Tracing is simply just following a fund. In this example, are, these are the alleged stolen checks. Uh, primarily, that went to Forge account and uh, following the money through to see where exactly it was ultimately uh, spin out of those accounts. And so in analyzing records uh, and in coordination with law enforcement were specific instruments identified uh, and uh, asked you to trace uh, where their ultimate disposition was? I was. Now when we say ultimate disposition, uh, can you follow that same dollar forever and ever onto eternity or is there sort of a line where you have to draw it and stop and say that's as far as we can go? You, you have to draw a line. Obviously you could follow money forever, forever and forever, but uh, for the purposes of my analysis, I looked at when uh, they ultimately went out of an account controlled by Alex Murdoch. Did you also uh, draw any lines when they went into any sort of uh, uh, loan statement or, or credit card statement or anything like that? That's correct. If it was a credit card payment, payment or a loan payment, I would stop there for that particular trace. And have you prepared documents uh, reflecting uh, the conclusions that you reached upon uh, tracing uh, those funds? I have. All right. And just very briefly, there's a variety of different ways to trace uh, money. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and just very quickly, which uh, methodology did you apply in tracing the funds? Right. So uh, you do have to have some rules when you are tracing funds to stay consistent. So the, the method I use was a first-in, first-out method. And, and, and what is the first-in, first-out method? It's exactly like the name implies. The first money into an account would be the first money out of an account. Prosecutor James approaches Mr. Bernie and hands him a document. I'm showing you a document that has been labeled for the purposes of this uh, in-camera proceeding as it states Exhibit 373. Very briefly, do you recognize this document? I do. What is it? This is a tracing of funds regarding the $792,000 with the Ferris case. As a reminder, the Ferris case was a personal injury settlement in which Alex Murdoch and his friend Chris Wilson collected a nearly $800,000 award for their clients, but Murdoch diverted many of those funds into his own accounts. Prosecutor James displays the document on the courtroom monitor. Mr. Bernie spends a few minutes describing how the spreadsheet displays the mechanics by which Alex Murdoch diverted client funds into his own accounts. James then asks the witness to give the judge an overview of the defendant's process of dispersing money. Generally speaking, upon your review of all of the different bank accounts uh, associated with Alec Murdoch, what was the general flow of funds? Did they primarily go into one bank account or did they go into one bank account and then into others or, or how did it work? 
So uh, with the forged checks, typically they would transfer out to other accounts. Um, Alex Murdaugh had a, a few different Bank of America accounts. In addition to the Palmetto State Bank accounts, they would go over there as well. So he had uh, a bank account at uh, Bank of America that was labeled uh, Richard Alexander Murdoch Forge. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and did he also have another bank account at Bank of America that didn't have any mention of Forge? Is that correct? That's correct. The the second bank account you're talking about appeared to be a personal checking account just in his name. And so would money go into one account and then into uh, that checking account, or uh, would money go into directly that checking account, or both? It depends on the on the instrument. For example, these three checks went into his personal checking account because they, they were named to Richard um, Alexander Murdoch. And so here, coming out of that Bank of America account ending 6779, that is the checking account, ultimately 747000 out of the $792,000 was dispersed. Is that correct? That is correct. And then, uh, am I? Uh, and how much was dispersed uh, after being transferred into uh, Palmetto State Bank account six zero nine two? Forty two thousand dollars. Six zero nine two is uh, is that a particularly active account for Mr. Murdoch? It is. It's one of his most active accounts at Palmetto State Bank. And then a little bit further down here, we have something that's labeled uh, PSB sixteen forty six Alec Murdoch Farm. Uh, what was that account? That was. Uh, it's just labeled a farm account, and it from just looking at account records seems to primarily deal with uh, the farm being Moselle property. And how much money uh, of these Ferris fees was dispersed out of that farm account? $3,000. And then flipping behind that facial summary page, we're not going to go through line by line here, but we have every single individual transaction that is summarized in that uh, covers uh, pivot table. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, some of the details I would include on those pivot tables, if, uh, the if there's a date on the check, the date it was negotiated, the amount, and um, the account number. Prosecutor James next zeroes in on how Mr. Bernie traced the money from the settlement awarded to the Gloria Satterfield estate. Bernie, I'm showing you a document labeled at this time as State's Exhibit 374. Do you recognize this document? I do. What is it? This is a tracing uh, summary for a check in the amount of $403,500 from the Moss, Coon, and Fleming uh, client trust account. Is this uh, identified in common parlance as uh, Satterfield money? Yes. It's a little bit tiny. I'm going to see if I can zoom in just a bit. And uh, never mind, we'll just stick with this. All right, so uh, on what date was that uh, $403,000 uh, deposited? January 9th, 2019. And I said the number, but how much money are we talking here? $403,500. All right. And then how much was ultimately, uh, uh, into what account was it deposited? It was deposited into the Forge account ending in 7625. And in uh, descriptive terms, which account is that? The Forge account. The fake that, Forge that account. That was DB, yes, sir. From that account, were any funds ultimately dispersed? Yes. As we have discussed in previous episodes, by Real Forge and Fake Forge, Prosecutor James and Mr. Bernie refer to the names of an actual financial consulting firm to whom the firm's checks should have been sent, and a fraudulent entity founded by Alex Murdoch with the name Forge, where the defendant diverted the funds apparently for his own purposes. After asking the witness about large sums of money moved around between various accounts operated by the defendant, James continues his questioning by asking Mr. Bernie about loans from Palmetto State Bank to Alex Murdoch. There's a cluster of payments here at the top, payment to loan, payment to loan, payment to loan. What are those, generally speaking? Those are loans that were held at Palmetto State Bank that were under Alex's name, at least some of them in part, some of them in solely him. 
And uh, these uh, items in parentheses, are those uh, just sort of descriptors of those particular loans? Yes, they're, they're for my notes, uh, so I could identify which loan number went to uh, which loan. And, and you specifically reviewed the, the loan documents in relation to each of these loans, correct? Yes, sir. So you're familiar with the supporting documentation for what they were collateralized by? Yes. Uh, so here at the top, uh, we have uh, a loan for Red Deer, correct? That is correct. And a payment on that in the amount of 47000 some odd dollars? Yes, sir. And then for Zero United uh, in the amount of $55,684 and some change, is that correct? That is correct. And then a payment on a uh, Moselle loan, is that correct? Yes, sir. Uh, and how much was that one? $65,238.92. James continues to lead Mr. Bernie through a series of transactions that demonstrate that the defendant diverted funds intended for his clients to his own personal accounts and for his own personal purposes. The prosecutor then takes the witness through another series of transactions that demonstrate how the defendant diverted nearly $3 million due to the Gloria Satterfield estate to his own accounts for his own purposes. Alex Murdoch's college friend and legal associate in that matter, Corey Fleming, would later plead guilty to helping Alex Murdoch steal the money. Fleming's firm was called Moscow and Fleming. I'm showing you a document labeled as States Exhibit 375. Do you recognize this document? I do. And what is it? This is a tracing summary of a check from the Moscow and Fleming client trust account, roughly in the amount of $2.9 million. And uh, when was uh, this instrument deposited? That was May 15th, 2019. And uh, you indicated it was roughly $2.9 million? Yes, sir. And into what account was it deposited? Into a forge account ending in 7625. And here we have a summary table of all the various expenses that that $2.9 million funded. Um, and uh, the sum total, uh, this first account appears to be the farm account. Uh, how much money was ultimately dispersed from the farm account? $147,247. And this next one would be uh, for the checking account, is that correct? That is correct, ending in 6092. How much money was ultimately dispersed from that uh, checking account? $1,429,753. And uh, this next one says 6649. Uh, is that an additional account at Hamada State Bank? That is another checking account under the name of Alex Murdoch. And how much was ultimately dispersed from that account? $13,000. And then here we have uh, 6779 BOFA. Is that the, the checking account at uh, Bank of America? That is a personal checking account at Bank of America. And how much was ultimately dispersed from that account? If you scoot it up just a hair. I keep looking down and you're looking <laughs> up. My bad. Uh, $1,208,449.89. All right. And to identify just a handful of... Uh, specific transactions or specific individuals who receive some of this money. Here we have a C.E. Smith. We, we actually have a variety of names here. In reviewing the instruments, did you see uh, any sort of pattern of um, differentiation uh, of, of checks all going to the same person? I did. I, I saw it in different names. Um, just off the top of my head, it was over 10 different variations of, of that name. Okay. and But all of those different variations, uh, to your understanding and working with law enforcement, uh, who is it your understanding all those checks refer to? Curtis Edward Smith. Curtis Edward Smith has been charged with conspiring with Alex Murdoch in connection with a botched scheme, 
where it is alleged that Murdoch hired Smith to assist in his own suicide so that it would look like murder. He has also been charged with the defendant on counts of conspiracy, money laundering, forgery, and drug trafficking. After the prosecutor takes Mr. Burney through a number of the transactions between Murdoch and Smith, James concludes his direct examination of the witness. By returning to the defendant's diversion of funds in the Ferris personal injury case that first alerted Murdoch's law firm to financial irregularities. Mr. Burney, I have handed you a series of exhibits starting with states 376 and ending in states 397. Do you recognize these documents? I do. And are all of these exhibits from 376 to 397 documents that you prepared tracing the flow of funds uh, from instruments um, involving money going through the forge account through checks negotiated in the name of Palmetto State Bank and from the Ferris fees from the Mack truck case? Yes, sir. And I think we actually already got through the Ferris fees from the Mack truck case, so these would be what went through the forge account, correct? Through the forge account, there's some Palmetto State Bank checks in there as well, in addition to, I believe there might be a check or two in the name of Alex Murdoch in there. And throughout all of these tracings and all of these summaries, they reflect that the money that Mr. Murdoch took went to his personal use and benefit. They do. And these are ordered in, roughly speaking, reverse chronological order, correct? Correct. Going from 2021 all the way back to a date of deposit on December 20th, 2011. Is that correct? That is correct. Your Honor, if I understood correctly after briefly conferring with counsel for the defendant, that they would be willing for the purposes of this hearing to stipulate to the admissibility of these documents for the court's in-camera review. Have I stated that correctly? You have. So stipulated. Your Honor, in the interest of time, uh, I would present these documents uh, to the court uh, as admitted. Provide the original to the court reporters and provide the court a copy of them. Yes, Your Honor. All right. Very good. No further questions. All right. Wait, yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And with the end of the in-camera testimony of Carson Burney, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as the jury is welcomed back into court for the testimony of Tom Darnell, a forensic investigator for the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.